Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of Munson Med Talks. I'm Laura Glenn. I'm Christine Nefsi. I'm Joe Santangelo. We hope this podcast brings value to your daily practice and keeps you updated on what's new at Munson Healthcare. Please subscribe so you don't miss out on any upcoming episodes. Thanks and enjoy. So uh, let's get to why we're all really here. Um, and that is to have a conversation about vaccine hesitancy. So I am happy to be rejoined today by Dr. Mark Cannon, who is one of our infectious disease specialists at Munson, uh, Dr. Josh Meyerson, who is the medical director for the Health Department of Northwest Michigan and DHD4 and Benzi Lelanol, and Dr. Nick Turney, who is one of our infectious disease clinical pharmacists at Munson Medical Center. So um, probably lots to talk about today. Um, but why don't we start um, first with um, some of the things that we're hearing about allergies and side effects, um, and then specifically maybe uh, the Moderna vaccine, since that is um, one of the ones that we hear maybe more about from a side effect profile. Um, so uh, Dr. Turney, do you wanna start with that? Yeah, sure, I can I can start with that. So. Um... You know, we're we're administering. I just I'll start with, uh, you know, we're administering millions of vaccines every day in the United States. Uh, there, there's going to be um, local reactions, and and specifically after the second dose, this has been known from the randomized controlled trials that after the second dose, uh, it's expected that the rates of reactions are are going to be a little bit higher, um, and those are you know mainly local, um, can be systemic as well. Um, anopathy as well as fatigue, uh, malaise in the in the couple days that follow, um, those would all be expected. And allergies um, are are going to be obviously a lot more common if someone is allergic to one of the components to the vaccine. So, for the mRNA vaccines, Pfizer and Moderna, that would be uh, PEG or polyethylene glycol. So if someone has an allergy to that, uh, it's it's really recommended to not receive one of those vaccines. Um, the good news is is that the the Johnson and Johnson vaccine does not have polyethylene glycol in it, and so the CDC does comment that patients can consider getting that vaccine uh, if they have a severe polyethylene glycol allergy. Um, there is polysorbate 80 in that vaccine, which is similar to PEG, but um, and there there have been cross reactivities. That have uh, that have been documented, but the overall rate of that is low. Um, so, uh, if if someone has a you know a severe reaction to um, polyethylene glycol, like I mentioned, um, it's it's uh, promising that we do have a vaccine now in the one one shot J and J vaccine um, that's able to be utilized for those patients. Uh, and as far as the media coverage around the Moderna vaccine side effect profile, so. Again, uh, you know, in, when you administer millions of vaccines, this is going to happen, um, and sometimes it gets sensationalized a bit. Um, it, really, the the rates of of these reactions are 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 obviously expected and, and quite high in those studies um, in the the randomized controlled trials. So it's really from what from my read of it, it's it's really no different than what has been published in the in the peer reviewed literature. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. And Dr. Meyerson, you know, why don't we take a step back even um, from some specifics and talk about uh, maybe some perspective, perhaps as a, you know, public health expert, you can give us some perspective on 
um, you know, mass vaccinations, um, some success stories, maybe why it's important that we continue to push vaccination, especially uh, with this latest surge that we're seeing? Sure. Um, well, I can compare it to, um, you know, a few things. Before my time, um, polio for the first half of the 20th century and, and before that, polio struck fair in communities across the country every summer. Uh, pools were closed. Events were canceled. Children were kept indoors during the, you know, the hottest times of the year. Thousands of children were stricken with infantile paralysis, you know, and, and many, many deaths every year from polio. And so it was, what, about 66 years ago? It's 1955. It was in Ann Arbor. Dr. Thomas Francis, the uh, you know, University of Michigan researcher, uh, he announced to the world that the vaccine, the, the classic quote, that it was safe, effective, and potent. And that, that was the headline across the world. The world rejoiced. People lined up around city blocks to get protected. Um, and, and it's the, the polio vaccine you know, eradicated polio from, from our country and most of the world. Um, but it also eradicated the fear, the anxiety, the disruption to society that resulted from this from polio outbreaks every year. It became something that that the country and the world had to live with um, that we can't really imagine right now until what we've been through in this last year. And so I think that's where we are today um, in this pandemic. You know, we you know all of us want herd immunity, community immunity. Immunity. We all want to get to that point where. Cases of COVID are, and outbreaks are, are small and well-contained. Um, and I, clearly, you know, getting the majority of us protected as quickly as possible is the surest and the, you know, the, the best way to decrease illnesses and deaths and to end this, this pandemic. Um, uh, and and we, need that, we need that immunity. We need that community immunity and a large percentage of us to be vaccinated to really, um, to, to really affect the overall case rates. And there's, there's protection of individuals who are vaccinated, and then there's that indirect protection. Um, when we started giving pneumococcal conjugate vaccine to babies, um, within a few years, um, not only were the babies protected, but we saw decreases in deaths from pneumococcal disease in our seniors um, because of decreased community transmission of pneumococcal bacteria. Um, and then um, I guess also, you know, what I went through at the beginning of my career is the H1N1 vaccine and, and that mass vaccination campaign, um, which in many ways was much simpler than it is um, today. But, but I can tell people who maybe weren't around during that time that we had prioritization and we had people scrambling and um, driving across state lines to get vaccines. And we had a lot of the same issues that we had here initially. Um, we had um, issues of convincing people that it was safe and effective. Um, there was some politiz politicization of it, um, not perhaps as viral as it is today, to, to use that word, but um, an H1N1 wasn't as deadly for sure. Um, but um, similar, you know, certainly I'm seeing the same problems that we're having today, um, but H1N1 not being as deadly, the, the stakes just aren't as high as they are today. Thank you so much. And Dr. Cannon, we heard Dr. Turney talk a little bit about side effects and address, um, you know, some of the, um, maybe the the myths and hoopla about that. But I wonder if you would address uh, this idea that the risk of getting COVID-19 and how sick it can make you is exaggerated and that this really is just a flu and people shouldn't be worried about it and should just get it. Well, that's, you know, anyone who pays attention to the 
rates of illness state by state, and it's all over the you know, internet and the press. It's very easy to find. Um, you know, there've been so many deaths actually from this one disease that the average life expectancy of an American has dropped by an entire year, which is phenomenal. I mean, there are that many people dying. So, you know, anybody still saying that this is just like the flu is, is a bit of, is, is not really paying attention. I mean, this is much more serious than that. And, you know, we are, we are, very lucky that we have such an effective and safe vaccine. It really has exceeded even vaccinologists and vaccine makers um, sort of expectations, how effective it is. Safety, I don't think was ever any, you know, a huge concern because virtually all vaccines are incredibly safe. Um, but the fact that it's so effective is just, is fantastic, but we have to get people to take it. Um, you know, the, the sooner we all get vaccinated, the fewer variants there will be and the fewer, the less we can stress out about new variants occurring. Um, the current vaccines are effective against all the widespread variants that we're at risk for right now. Uh, the South African variant is perhaps a little less, um, there's a little less protection, a little less antibody made to that one with the current vaccines, but it's still enough antibody to be protective. And um, so, We've seen with this recent spike that variants can be trouble. Um, this the B117, which is also called the UK variant, is more widespread, probably responsible for our current uh, wave. Uh, it is well protected, though, with the vaccine. Unfortunately, it is, there's also emerging data that's it's more deadly than the wild type vaccine. So again, excuses for not getting the vaccine are running pretty thin. Uh, it's been put in millions of people, and no reported deaths directly related to any of the vaccines. Any side effects are short-term uh, and just more of an inconvenience. As Dr. Shoney mentioned, serious side effects like allergies and things, those would be the case for any medication, any vaccine. I mean, th those are just a given, right? Have nothing, they're not specific to this vaccine or any of these vaccines really. Um, do we all want to stay healthy? Of course we do. Get the vaccine. Do we all want to protect the loved ones around us? Of course we do. So get the vaccine. Do we work with at-risk people? A lot of us watching this do. Of you know, and one of your commitments is to do no harm. So of course you want to get the vaccine. So again, I, the other excuse we hear uh, is the uh, oh, it was made so fast. Well, it wasn't made that fast. RNA vaccine. Technology has been studied for going on 30 years at publicly funded universities for the most part. Your tax dollars going to universities to do transparent, published, easily accessible research uh, as, as it should be. Um, what happened quickly was that the political will and the money was put in place to take it over the finish line by private companies that know about manufacture, distribution, and running clinical studies, things that scientists and universities studying RNA vaccines couldn't care less about. That's not what they're in it for. Um, they're in it, you know, for a completely different purpose. They do their part, and then the private companies got into their part. Um, so really, the government's role was more just to back up these companies and say, look, you're not going to go bankrupt, please. You know, we're going to throw money at you, and you just got to get this done. And that's what happened. And that's why we got the vaccine in nine or 10 months. It's, it's not, it wasn't from scratch. You know, it was waiting. It was a, it was a technology just waiting to be pushed across the finish line. And so that's another thing we hear a lot in hesitancy is about 
you know, it was done so fast. I heard from literally two patients yesterday, both of whom who desperately should get this vaccine. Both of them are immunosuppressed and won't get it because of that concern. And, and, and that, that really shouldn't be a concern. This is not, you know, this type of vaccine has been bandied about and studied for going on three decades. And I'm, I'm glad it's finally here because it's going to have a lot of repercussions for other treatments. Thank Sorry, you I went that. way over the question. I <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. So what I, just to sum up, it's safe and you should yeah. get it. <laughs> yes, yes. And the risk is real. Um, um, right. so, so Dr. Turney, you know, one of the, the things we do here is this, like many new medications, many new vac- vaccines, many new um I don't know, options we have in medicine aren't typically tested on pregnant women or kids. Um, So we are, um, obviously the Pfizer one is down to 16, but that still leaves a large portion of our pediatric population uh, without the possibility of getting a a vaccine. Um, But I wonder if you could uh, discuss some of the vaccine trials that are ongoing specifically for pregnant women, but, um, you know, if you know of any with with kids as well. Yeah, for sure. So I know I just saw uh, a news blurb today on the Pfizer vaccine in uh, a study in children 12 to 15. Uh, and it, it showed promising results. That's all I can say. So that's it was just a, a quick blurb. But um, there are studies ongoing for, for pediatrics, like I mentioned. And then for pregnancy, there is a study called Horizon 1, which is the the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, and that's specifically in healthy pregnant women, and that's ongoing right now. So we hope to see randomized controlled trial, uh, randomized controlled trial data for vaccine in pregnancy, which is really, um, I don't want to say unheard of, but that, that's something that doesn't happen very frequently to have that high-level evidence in, in that very specific population. I'll also say that the for Pfizer and Moderna vaccine, through the, the CDC's vSafe program, there have been 30,000 women that have uh, documented that they have become pregnant after receiving the vaccine, or I'm sorry, they were pregnant um, and received the vaccine. And the rates of complications in, in those, uh, those deliveries have been considered the same as the general population. So I, I know it's not high-level evidence, but it is... Um, it is nice to see that there isn't anything, you know, like microcephaly or, you know, other other complications that have been noted in other um, other diseases. Um, none that obviously no no vaccine that I'm aware of is uh, is implicated in any of that, and we wouldn't expect that. But it's nice to see in a you know cohort of thirty thousand people that self-report um, there was no no complications associated. Thank you for that. And to be clear, ACOG has come out and said, as well as um, other uh, organizations that uh, support uh, pregnant women and and childbirth, that um, this is a safe vaccine and they highly recommend uh, pregnant women being offered the vaccine and having a conversation with their OB or family medicine physician or MFM um, in making a decision about whether they should get it or not. So, um, So Dr. Meyerson, just to kind of bring it a little bit more local, could you tell us a little bit about um, what you're seeing around the community as far as our surge in cases and then just maybe um, a- another reassurance uh, on the vaccine? I know that um, we have been asked repeatedly about um, 
whether we are still admitting patients that uh, have received the vaccine or positive uh, cases after that. To my knowledge, and we are just starting to really um, pull clear data and put it together, but um, anecdotally, we have not admitted anybody to any of our hospitals that has completed the vaccine series, which I think is good uh, news and, and shows the efficacy of that vaccine. The people that we are admitting are much younger, um, and I think that that's really a tribute to the work that our health departments, um, as well as Munson Healthcare, have done to really get a majority of our older uh, community members vaccinated quickly. Um, but we are seeing uh, a surge and it is uh, younger people spreading it. So I wonder if you could just give us a little bit of a summary of, of what you're seeing and what your ask of our um, community physicians and providers would be in that, um, in that light. Um, well, certainly we are uh, seeing uh, quite a surge in cases um, throughout Northern Michigan. Um, and our case rates have gone up um, quite a bit uh, and, and look more like November, December. Um, they had, you know, come down so nicely. And um, at this point, uh, we continue to, you know, to, to see the cases um, coming in, you know, at much higher rates than we were uh, three weeks ago. Uh, you know, over the positivity rate, I think, you know, in the state is doubled um, back up to 8%. Um, we are seeing, as you suggested, that um, the cases... Uh, the biggest increase is in that 10 to 59-year-old age range. We've had a significant percent, uh, upwards of 20% in school-age uh, children or, or even more, um, depending on, on where you look. Um, and and the, the cases have skewed younger, which is good, um, and um, <clears throat> that we haven't seen an increase in uh, mortality rates yet. Um, and I, I would hope, uh, and I think the vaccination certainly uh, has, has had a positive impact on on those numbers, and we would expect, um, you know, less uh, morbidity and mortality as, as the infections skew younger. Um, and then you asked about, um, you know, people who have been vaccinated. We have had, um, you know, people who have had one dose um, or even two doses who have come down with COVID. We have had, I, I know of a couple, uh, quote, fully vaccinated individuals. I know of two um, who did end up testing positive. I'm not surprised if something is 95% effective or in the last MMWR that, you know, we're seeing 90% effectiveness in, in the real world here with the, um, you know, with the mRNA vaccines, which is just fantastic. It's a home run. Um, but still, when you have that much disease transmission going on um, and that much viral spread bouncing around in your community, um, you are going to have some people who, who have been fully vaccinated um, that are going to get sick. Yes, you would expect them to have milder illness, um, but, um, you know, I would expect we'll see more of those. I don't call that a, you know, a failure. It just tells you why you need to get higher rates of immunization. You really need to decrease that viral load that our community is all um, going through right now. 